We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in Max's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody do another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. In studio with us again, Mr. Anthony Prohaska. And uh, we're here talking about Bill's Camp Basics wide receivers and the defensive line. Two positions that I know are near and dear to Anthony's heart. We're not talking about Kota Bushi being announced as the fifth guy for King we don't, Golden look, Elite and Blood and Guts. Anthony, we we're don't not have, leading with that. No, we don't have. Look, we don't have time for that. We're, okay, we got to. We're on a time constraint with you. You got to be in and out, just like Ahmed Johnson's career. Nice <laughs> way to bring it home. Damn it! Was that planned or just off the cuff right now? I planned that. I, I thought like about it. that because you were like, "I only got this window," and I'm like, "All right, all right." Ahmed sounds Johnson. like sounds like Ahmed Johnson's Ahmed career. Johnson. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right, you guys. You guys find a way. You know what? The worst part is we're going to have to have a wrestling conversation at some point tonight, Chris. It's actually the well. It's like the driving reason I was like Anthony has to be in the studio this week. He has to be. Well, we, we could pour one out for Mantar. <laughs> Mantar. Wait. W- when you call someone Mantar, all I think of is Minotaur. So that guy better be half man, half bull. Well, he is dead, but that's what his character was. <laughs> what half man, half bull? Yeah. Well, he had like a ram, a ram thing grafted on his head. Yeah, it was. He was a he was a jobber. He was a, he, he's what we call an idiot, and now he's dead. So cheers Aww. to that man. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Hey, so guys, as we kind of ramp this thing up, because we're what are we now? How many weeks away? Two weeks. Seventy four. Two, two weeks away from training camp. Seventy four. Seventy four days. Weeks. Weeks. Yeah. From training it's camp. Your Gregorian calendar. Gregor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two weeks. This is why no one gets your tweets, dog. I accept it. I don't care. <laughs> people just watch, people follow me for film clips and analysis. They don't care about me as a person. Dr- I understand. The dry sense of humor is what I love about you. So, you. 
yeah, guys, weeks. and if you're not already watching, disguise coverage over on Cover One. He's a wrestling savant. He he loves him some film. You're going to find some great things if you're following him on Twitter. Daquan Jones last night. Yeah, yeah, we had him in the film room. So three out of four weeks, Kyrie Elam, then Greg Rousseau, and then Daquan Jones. He was we had him on last year during the bye week or the week before. No, during the bye week last year. Dude is. And you guys talk about real football. Oh, absolutely. We literally break down plays and film with him asking him about technique. What was the call? What's the read? Um, A lot of plays last night of him, you know, feeling out things with the offensive lineman and understanding leverage and his assignment and what he saw in film study and prep. So, yeah, a bunch of X's and O's and schematic pieces and the stuff you don't get from um, from the uh, Rockbow report. No, I would say other people who tend to interview players or speak with players and ask them, like, what's your favorite kind of wing? Is it flat? Well, this is why... Is it a drum? For for me, it's more of a point of... Chris, we know a couple football players, right? Mm. Like, collectively, between the two of us, we know a couple guys. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll we'll get into it later, but I did text one of the players that I know if on... When did I text him? Sunday night, I text him if they had any poll at ECMC. (laughs) And that, <laughs> do I get to find out now? No, no. So, so, Next show. So, so this is the thing, guys. When we talk to players, my attitude is always: these are just dudes with cooler with a cooler job than me. So I'll just talk to you about dude shit because mm. realistically, like I have some game related questions. Like what, Chris, when I did the interview with Fred Smurless, remember that? <laughs> yeah, I got to interview Smurless, and it was awesome. And I I found a way to get some juice out of him. Yeah. Just about the, the the heyday of football. I got him to admit that he thinks modern football players are pussies. Like, mm, I, I got some great sound bites. But I the, may have some photos of that. But so. the, but the reality is, I'll I'll pull it up for Anthony to see. I like it. I, I, that's not my wheelhouse. That's for guys like you, hmm. guys who have a genuine interest in the X's nose. I find those shows you do with these players incredibly interesting because it's stuff I don't know. Hmm. And then when I'm watching football, I have a little bit better understanding of it. But oh. but by and large. If I had a football player in the room with me, I'm going to ask them human questions just because that's what I care about. Because mm. I just look at them as like, you're a dude, your job is cool. That's fair. That's fair. I appreciate the plug. You're good people. And I take back all the negative things I say about oh you. My- I'll, I'll, I'll make you regret that. Promise me. See, there we go. There's some uh, photos of Drew yeah. uh, talking to Fred Smurless. That's pretty sweet. Look at that face. That's what I was looking for. Smurless face. That's the one where he's like, are you fucking kidding me? I was going to say, you guys... <laughs> He goes, are you fucking kidding me? That photo right there, Chris. Make sure that makes the YouTube video. That look. He looks so disappointed. Cause, well, because my thing was, and I knew I could bait him, I asked him a question that was basically framed. I go, you know, g- given how much, you know, sports have become a 24, you know, a 365, 24-7 kind of a, a deal, and the older athletes, like back in the day in the 80s and that, you guys didn't have to be in such good shape, you know? Do you think Mohawk. camp was harder? And he goes... What what the fuck are you talking about? He goes, these guys now, he goes, we used to do two-a-days. Mm-hmm. And they did. And he was talking about how he was like 305, but he was lean. Like, playing the line, you had to be lean yeah. at 300 pounds. Now it's mass. Now the game's changed. Mm. Responsibilities have changed. How you mm. get used. Daquan Jones would have been, I don't want to say too big to play at that point, but he would have had to have been used differently than they wanted to use defensive linemen during that period of football. Hmm. So it's really interesting to see the evolution of that, and that's where I love shows like yours because you do get to see some of that. Hmm. And then when you compare it to what you've heard from some of these old-timers, you do see the evolution of the game itself. 
Yeah, it's changed a lot. I mean, the the, the nature, I would say, I mean, just positions in general, but obviously the scheme and X's and O's. But it's funny within that, like, everything is, it's the Rustin Cole True Detective season one time as a flat circle meme or gif or whatever. Yep. Um, but, ever, like, things that are coming back now that are, like, in vogue and how offenses or defenses, like, swing the pendulum. I saw a fucking tweet the other day from so, some smarmy-ass CNN thing where they were like, oh, research shows that they could, we could cut down on emissions and fossil fuel reliance with these. And they use some fancy term huh? to describe a sale. And they go, we could attach these to cargo ships and reduce our emissions. And they're talking about it like it's groundbreaking technology. Yeah. And I'm over here going, someone get me a pirate hat. We're going back to sea. This We've is, already done this. This isn't new. Nothing this isn't is new. new. You're not smart. You're just a bunch. What you are is you're a bunch of millennials who don't know history. And you're all sitting in a room smelling your own farts to a degree where you don't know. You're just recycling Pirates of the Caribbean. You've that, never it. seen it. Hey, I'll be your Jack Sparrow, though. If somebody wants to create one, I will be your Jack Sparrow. Pirates of the Caribbean, it, it, I didn't realize how successful of a franchise that is, like from a monetary perspective. Wasn't like the first one 19 years ago? Oh, I have no idea. So I think I saw that the other day. It was like 19 years ago. There's also like five movies or four. Like there's a lot more movies than I thought there was. I, I fell it asleep at like three nope, or two. I, I hated the second one. I fell asleep three times during the third one and never watched it. My thing is, if I try to watch your movie and I fall asleep during it three times, mm. it's not me, it's you. Your movie stinks. It's no Silver Linings playbook. <laughs> they lost me with the... Uh, yeah, you got it. I don't know which whichever one it is where Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley get married on the ship while in the middle of a battle, and Barbosa is like the, uh, the one doing the marriage. They lost me with that. But again, that's yeah, the type of stuff you're not going to see in a real, a real piece of cinematic... <laughs> Gold, like silver. Give me a real flavor. pirate movie. Just guys who all smell bad. They're oh, all Goonies. ugly with bad teeth. Rudy they stink. The Goonies, and we and they just go out and rob people. Like they loot. That's that's piracy. Goodfellas. Goodfellas. That's my. G- give me Goodfellas movie. on the water. That's it. Give me Goodfellas on the ocean. That's it. That's all I want. Give me no. Give me Goodfellas as it is, but everybody dresses like pirates and they have <laughs> pirate accents. Uh, Uncle Polly in a fucking ruffled shirt. Holy shit. In a big old hat, pointy Jack Sparrow kind of hat. That's Wear an amazing. eyeliner. The tri-tip. And high boots, yeah. Yeah, and he's got like a swashbuckler sword. And he's too fat to get anywhere with it, so he keeps getting stuck and cutting himself. He's going over, I'd say, why take the chance? He's got a, he's got a parrot on his shoulder. Holy shit. That's it. No, yeah, they're regular accents and voices, but they're just <laughs> dressed fully like pirates. That's what I want. Chris, the worst part is, is that if there's a water park in New Jersey, I bet you this is already happening. Oh, God. Like, if there's a water park anywhere in New Jersey, I bet you that there's a pirate show with New Jersey accents already taking place. Nice. We could just go watch that. I called the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's interesting that you had Daquan Jones on the timing of that, because we're here, we're going to start talking about the defensive line. That's where tonight's show starts. Mm. If we're breaking down the position group, the cap cost, $43.9 million, which is 19.8% of the cap. That's 10th in the NFL, and it's probably higher than that because the way Spotrack shapes things, they're calling Leonard Floyd a linebacker. So you throw in another, what, seven point something million dollar Mm -hmm. cap hit, and you're probably in the top eight, top eight or nine. That's so, so stupid. He's not a linebacker. No, he's not a linebacker. I, exactly. It's stupid. But it, I, it's usually because if you were a rush linebacker in a 3-4 yeah. coming out of the other side, they just yeah. leave it. They have 16 bodies on the roster. I'd say starters, they have about six. Is that fair? Hmm. Six. Yeah. You could... 
six, yeah, five to six. Yeah, if you if you wanted to be super optimistic, you could say seven, but I think six is a really good over under. Okay, so here are some stats and some statements of fact about the Bills' twenty twenty two defensive line. Uh, Greg Rousseau led all Bills with fifty one pressures. Mm. He was quietly one of our best pass rushers, not mm. named Von Miller. Mm. Now, obviously, you, Chris, did anyone expect? Russo to be quote unquote better than Von Miller? No. Ever? No. No. That'll never be a thing. But isn't it telling that he's putting up metrics along the same lines while nobody else on our team is really like there's nobody else. And his efficiency be- metrics from a rush perspective were not impacted when Von Miller tapered off. He That's the important right. thing. Yep. Here's one. Jerry Hughes. Hmm. Houston Texans' Jerry Hughes tied for sixth in the NFL in quarterback hurries. Crazy. No Bills defensive lineman finished in the top 35. <laughs> no. Jerry Hughes had a sneaky good year. He had a sneaky good year for the shittiest team in football. Yeah. And, they competed I, on defense, though. They got some. I, I think the Texans could be like, they're not going to be a playoff team, but they could be like, they were a hard out last year for a bunch of teams. I think they could... Like, no joke, be a team. They almost beat the Chiefs, which is they, hilarious. Yeah, legitimately. If they pulled off, like, six, seven wins, I would not be shocked. And I think they'll be fun to watch. The one thing I will say about Jerry Hughes, because everyone, anyone who hears it's going to go, oh, okay, he's a Jerry Hughes you lover, blah, blah, blah. He did also tie first in missed tackles among every defensive line player in the NFL. Mm. Tied for first. Not for, great. Why do you think the Bills moved on? They were like, we need you to just, we get it, you're rushing the quarterback, but at some point... That hurry needs to become a sack, yeah. if it, or it needs to become a tackle for loss. It needs to become some kind of negative play because if it's not, then that we gotta. It's crazy how like you would think that like eventually like you would regress towards the mean positively and just be like, well, eventually like he'll become like a better finisher or tackler. It's just like <laughs> nope. It's just like pressures and hurries and not a lot of tackles for sacks, and he just stays on that trend, which again can be useful and can be valuable. I would have taken it last year, uh, especially with Von Miller going down, but. There is something to be said, obviously, for being able to finish things out from either a tackle or sack perspective, it, especially if it leads to something bigger, a la Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and all those pieces. Yada, yada, yada. In terms of PFF rating, which we all can agree oh. most of the time can kick rocks, yeah, but it is interesting when you see, like, because usually if you're like, well, my guy's an 80 and yours is an 83 and that makes him better. The rating's arbitrary. Okay. Run defense rating, Von Miller finished in the top 10 for defensive linemen in the NFL. Hmm. You have to go all the way down. You're, there's not another Bills player who played more than 450 snaps inside the top 65. And see, I, that one, <coughs> I really appreciate PFF. I use them a lot for their advanced metrics and pieces. But I, I want to hear this from you, so great. speak on it. This is where <clears throat> Daquan Jones, mm-hmm. right? Daquan Jones was the Bills' best run defender last year, mm. right? But then when you look at Ed Oliver... And I looked at Harrison Phillips mm. left. Everyone said, well, he's a forgettable piece of the defense. And Harrison Phillips finished with more run stops and more tackles than Ed Oliver did last year. Mm. But for me, I mean, that doesn't. Sure. It doesn't tell the whole story. No. And you factor but, into like Ed Oliver's injury and playing banged up. And then also the type of role that he occupies. Like he I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that's going to be a run stop stop percentage type of guy. Like no. he's a one gapping trying to get penetration cause havoc like he's he's stopping the run on the way to the quarterback most times. And even when he isn't impacting the run, he's probably just causing havoc and someone else is finishing it off. So with that in mind, 
just in terms of his overall numbers at Oliver, right? Do you think he had a good year? Um, I think he had a better year than he's giving credit for, but I wouldn't classify it as like a good year. Okay. I wasn't anticipating him being signed long term based off of that season. I could have seen it potentially playing out similar to kind of a Tremaine Edmonds situation where he balls out this year and the Bills have to pay through the nose or he goes to free agency uh, in greener pastures because somebody opens up, you know, the Brinks truck for him. But. Mm-hmm. No, I think he had a better year than he, he gets credit for, but I wouldn't classify it overall as a good year, especially when you see a game like against the Bengals where Daquan Jones goes out and everybody on the defensive line is kind of a shell of themselves. Granted, a lot of that was due to coverage and scheme, but I digress. <laughs> a lot of that was just, hey, we'll throw a screen pass. Fuck whatever your defensive line is. <laughs> and a lot of pieces, too. Like It's it's a light box, and the Bengals are going to run draw or just run a pin and pull up the yep. gut or a guard pull, and the entire interior is just shot. But again, that's not Ed's role. Like Ed Oliver needs a – you need somebody next to him that will gum up the works and draw attention. Ed Oliver's functionality is based on speed and get off and penetration. He's not going to be some guy – and he will every once in a while, you know, anchor against a double team. And I think he holds better at the point of attack than he gets credit for, especially for being an undersized defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. But he's never going to be, I don't know, depending on what you're looking for, he's not Ted Washington or Pat I Williams just, or Vita Vea or all these guys. Like, he's a it's just frustrating. I'll say this. It's just frustrating to me that he only registered seven more pressures and one more sack than Jordan Phillips, who's making a fraction of what he gets paid. Mm-hmm. I know that myself and my friends, uh, Jeff Pollock, good friend of mine, has said before, he and I are texting during a game, and we made the point that Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips plays with the kind of fire I wish Ed Oliver had. Okay. Now, I don't know if that's makeup. I don't know if it's just physicality, if it's size. Uh, there's some difference there. Whatever it is, I, I don't get it. If I think that's sti- fair, too. If you Phillips could stitch those two together. But then there's a reason Phillips is always hurt. Absolutely. It's the recklessness he plays with. Now, what went wrong for the Bills in 2022? Von Miller got fucking hurt. Before his injury, do you remember we were like top 10 in the NFL in terms of efficiency? All pressures and sacks and all these pieces. And even especially that. And that's with only rushing four. Like we weren't blitzing. We weren't doing a lot of games. It was just straight rush four. Ed Oliver had a decent double team rate, I will say. I wanted to pull that up. What is that? Um, This is a graphic we had on the show last night. So um, double team rate on the x-axis and pass rush win rate on the top. It actually speaks to how awesome Daquan Jones was. Hey, 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 hey. What? You got a producer over here. Yeah, send that to Chris. You could have just sent that to me. I could have put it up here. Oh, I'm so sorry. I could ease. I could put that in the in the so, show well, so on YouTube. Do it. So, so this do is it. what we're gonna. So this is what we're gonna. T- we're gonna talk about the chart in a second. It's the but, thing I quote tweeted. I just DM'd it. But, I forgot about technology. But realistically, <laughs> sorry. When he got hurt, everyone else fell off a cliff. Absolutely. Rousseau stayed. Rousseau stayed. Epinesa improved. Yes. Took his game up. Epinesa, and smaller sample size though. Epinesa stepped up. Boogie Basham remained flat. And Everybody else fell off. Basham went down. Oliver went down. Phillips went down. Granted, he was super banged up. Settle went really bad. Um, Oliver went bad. Um, Daquan Jones, I mean, you're not looking from a pass rush perspective, although he was. I think he was so much better as a pass rusher than anybody expected or gave him mm-hmm. credit for. But, yes, the, the metrics from an advanced metric perspective tanked for the entire defensive line. Well, I think, went down. And I think the conversation that we're about to have based on this graphic that you just sent, Chris, I think it pays into, it feeds into this one. Well, the Von Miller investment paid off. There was a lot of investments we made on the defensive line that did not. Uh, Daquan Jones, great investment. Absolutely. One of the key cog pieces on this defense that, that I think it unfortunately took. Uh, feel that beer. Feel it? 
ice. You somehow froze all the beers. Oh wow! In the fridge. I could tell before I even grabbed it. It's like an ice. It's black ice. It's not that pure, amazing Lake Placid ice that you've got in the fridge back there, but it's ice nonetheless. I can't even throw this. I was going to say what throw I, it. What do I do with my hands? Mm-hmm. All right, just leave it and let it put it let you defrost. So this is what we're doing. Jeez. I'm going to put this over here. I'm going to put this over here. So now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Boogie Basham, right? Oh, uh, no. Inconsistent. We're going to talk about yeah. Tim Settle. When we got Tim Settle, was I was what I was expecting versus what I saw on the football field. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed. Fair. The fact that he accepted a salary cut this day, not shocking. No. I don't. Who would have signed him if he had been cut? Well, he probably likes one pie pizza a lot, and so he just wanted to stay here. <laughs> he just likes the one pie. That's why he's here. That's it. He know he recognizes good pizza when he when he tastes it. Again, down the stretch, Oliver shrinks. Yes. As soon as you didn't have that elf on the other side of the line drawing all the attention, that Oliver shrank. And it, it there was just some things, right? There were some things that did not go well. And when you look at this double team chart, Chris, if you could throw that up there, out of our Twitter DMs, got it. We we often forget when we're watching the game of football when we or if you're just box score watching. I think that's where it gets the worst. Mm-hmm. When you go, well, this guy only had this many pressures and sacks, and you go, okay, well, where did they fall on the in the universe of blocking schemes and who an offensive coordinator goes? Hey guys, you can't let that guy ruin my game. Mm-hmm. Where do you fall on there? Because if you're somebody who's never seeing a double team, and at the same time you're still not making an impact, you're probably not very good. Absolutely. At the same time, if you're seeing a lot of them and putting up numbers, that means you're probably doing your job well. Yes. So now as we look, so so let's look at this here. Walk me through this chart of yours. So x-axis, that's the bottom one for those who don't know what the x-axis is. Uh, Double team rate on that bottom x-axis, pass rush win rate. On the left y-axis there, just a quick shout-out. Look at Chris Jones in the far, far top right. He's a a fucking animal. Bro, tier of his own. He's got probably, I mean, he's close with Allen and Daquan Jones in terms of the highest double-team rate, but his pass rush win rate is just in another stratosphere. If he didn't play for the Chiefs, I would love him. He's so good. Also, he leg-whipped my quarterback once, and I think he's a dirtbag, and if he had gotten a flat tire and then had to walk home from there, I wouldn't cry about it. You know, Ric Flair, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And he's just a monster. And so you look at that. But again, on the rest of that graphic, if you're going down, right, because we're we're focusing on that x-axis piece, Chris Jones, Jonathan Allen, and then Daquan Jones have the three highest double team rates with how far they are to the right there. And then you look at Daquan Jones, who, again, is seeing a ton of double teams and is not a pass rusher, seeing him in, I would say, what? second or third tier in terms of pass rush win rate based on the chart knowing that he's brought in to keep linebackers clean and he's a run defender and that run defense mentality piece knowing that he comes from multiple years he talked about on the show last night with us like coming to Buffalo he almost had to relearn like his previous years of technique because he was used to two gapping and the style of defenses that he played in versus coming to Buffalo which is a one gap penetrating front so he's relearning technique he's changing the what's been asked of him previously in his career and to see the production that he had as a pass rusher which again all of that he could have been the worst pass rusher in the league I don't care because I wanted him to be a force in the middle with our light boxes to keep the second and third levels clean for for those of you at home just so you understand what he's saying I'm going to put this in terms of numbers Uh, Daquan Jones finished with half a sack less than Ed Oliver and two fewer pressures 
But he's not supposed to be your yeah. three tech. He's a one tech. He's supposed to be the tree stump that holds up the line so that everybody can flow around him. And instead, it turns out he's just as effective as the guy you drafted in the top ten to be. And like, you can see Ed <laughs> Oliver there uh, below, or sorry, right next to David on Yamada, a little to the left of BJ Hill. Yeah, I right see him So down he's there. got, he doesn't have a, a low double team rate, but his pass rush, rush win rate is crazy significantly low. low. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. It's, it's in one, it's, again, depending on how you want to tier it here, second lowest type of tier, which again, I think matches overall what you saw. And, but his biggest thing, I don't think Ed Oliver's not bad. His biggest thing, and I think this was echoed a lot by by people, even just like the the regular fan who watches broadcast tape, it's the consistency or the inconsistency, I should say. Like you see him one game and you're like, wow, Ed Oliver is a monster. And then you see two more games and you're like, did Ed Oliver play in these two games? <laughs> like, and it's just there's these spurts where he looks dominant and there's penetration. I, I think of the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving. I think of the hey, Saints well, game on Thanksgiving. Okay, but think about those things. The Cowboys game in particular will always be burned in my mind because they had a kid by the name of Connor Williams oh. on, the Dallas offen- on the Dallas offensive line. Current Miami Dolphins. He's, he was a good guard. Mm. Good guard. Bad center. Bad center. Yeah. But a decent guard. And Ed Oliver didn't show up in that game until he got injured. And when they took him out of the game and put in something, I, I just remember his last name is Suofilo. He's a, a prototypical mm. journeyman. If, if he, To put this in your wrestling terms. What's and, wrestling? He's the Brooklyn brawler of guards, right? Like he's a jobber. He's a guy you bring in just to get over one, like to get one over. They bring in Suafilo, and and Oliver all of a sudden has the game of his life because he's eating the lunch of a guy who's older, hmm. not as talented, just from a skill standpoint. Like from a talent standpoint, he's hmm. much lower. So you would expect him to dominate those matchups, and that's what I feel like it is with Ed Oliver. Mm. When he plays inferior talent to where he is, great. If he plays a guy who's a borderline starter, he can look like an all-star. If you put him up against the Ravens, who have traditionally had very good interior line play, Mm. you'll watch him disappear for Mm. chunks of a game. It's just what he is. And Mm. so that extension notwithstanding, this is what I look at and I say to myself, thank God. For Daquan Jones. Mm-hmm. That's an investment that paid off. And he showed us, if we're looking at what, what went right for the 2022 Buffalo Bills, he showed us what a one-tech is supposed to look like. All those years of Star Latule, supposedly he was the guy. They were like, oh, we bring him in because we know him from Carolina. He's mm-hmm. going to keep our linebackers clean. And he did an average job, but then we saw what a good one-tech mm-hmm. is supposed to look like. Yeah. You so got that thank piece. God for that. And now look at that. There's Puna Ford. I was going to say, there's Puna Ford, and look at the deal that Puna Ford signed. Yeah. And so slightly less double team rate, but uh, arguably the same pass rush win rate, maybe a fraction of a point difference there, but they're basically the same from a pass rush win rate perspective. And again, that doesn't tell. So Ed Oliver and Puna Ford have basically the same pass rush win rate. Puna Ford hasn't been double teamed as much, but Puna Ford is a backup. That's a fair point. He's that, a rotational piece. And he came here on a one-year deal, like was eking out a deal on free in free agency. And at Oliver, I don't want to say he broke the bank, because when you – I think with the contract that Oliver got, it looks like, wow, really? But then you look at it in the defensive tackle market, and you're like, oh, okay, like 
it's actually like mid-teens, and then once the Quinn and Williams deal comes through like it did today and these other defensive tackles sign deals, he's going to get pushed down further to like 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th. Like it's just it's an expensive market at that interior defensive line piece, but I definitely was surprised that he signed that deal, especially off of a season where he was banged up and didn't necessarily show up in the way that you would have liked him to or would have wanted him to, but... They're banking on upside. Which is, but, which is fair, but also, like, how much upside are you banking on a guy who's already been in the league for, like, four years? I and, I, and I'm not... Guys can change who they are, and I do think injury plays a significant piece. He's been a guy who's been consistently banged up, but then you could play devil's advocate and be like, yeah, yeah why'd you always, sign a guy who's always banged up? Is he always going to be banged up? Like, what are we doing here? And... He's got he's got the ability to change a game in an instant, but he's also got the ability from a negative standpoint to disappear and make you think, why is this guy here? Um, and so he's he's legitimately for me like an enigma. Like he's got some of the best tape from last year that I love, and then he's got some of the tape from last year and the year before where I hate it and want to punch it in the face. So then you look at AJ Epinesa and Greg Rousseau both taking big steps forward in their careers. Mm. Because to our earlier point, Greg Rousseau showed in the fine metrics that he's ready to kind of be an alpha defensive line. He had so he's we everyone talks about his run defense prowess. One of the top five edges yeah. in, from a run defense standpoint, his rookie year, legitimately great. Last year, missing you know, games. Yep, injured. played on that banged up uh, high ankle sprain. Yeah. Which uh, there's tons of studies coming out that show that like. Even the best, I mean, it's percentage-based, but, like, even, like, the, the guys who heal the best, they only come back at, like, 75 80% of what they were. And, you like, we talked about it earlier when you mentioned him. Like, his numbers did not taper off from an advanced metric standpoint. He had such a better year holistically, but especially from a pass rush standpoint, than I think he even gets credit for amongst Bills fans. His numbers actually improved a little bit after Von Miller's injury. Yeah, slightly. Like, he went from, like, he was, like, 20-something, like, in the low 20s ahead before Von Miller went down for, like, PRP and efficiency metrics and then, like, climbed a little more towards the teens like it even even if he didn't do that even if he just held his ground that's a win it, absolutely that's a win absolutely and then aj epinesa fucking six and a half sacks what what manna from heaven where have you been but there's this thing, on a very limited amount of snaps well too. there's this thing that i i try not to get ahead of myself on i i track these things every off season and it's kind of led me to believe trey hendrickson was going to be a bust but by and large mm. it, it tends to be right more often than not a lot of people were in that camp of Henderson. Well, what you do is you look at the you look at the, it's a little bit of math. You make a table, and every year I take all the pass rushers and I go, how many pressures did you convert into sacks? Mm-hmm. If you're a, if your conversion rate is over like forty five percent, how sustainable is that? Because you think about that. Uh, the, there was a guy he played for the uh, he was a linebacker for the Packers. Then he played for the Giants. He had one season with 12 sacks, but he did it on like 35 pressures. And you go, he can't do that again. Yeah, and they go, and the team said, no, we think, we think he can. Mm. Paid him. Nah. Nah, fam. As the kids would say. Nah, fam. <laughs> so it, it was nice to see those steps forward, though, because maybe AJ Epinesa has some upside. Like maybe we're starting to see him get it. The guy changed his entire body mm-hmm. to fit this team. He was built like they. The, his comp coming out of the draft was Cam Hayward. Oh, really? That was his comp. I don't pay attention to comp. his comp was Cam Hayward. He was six foot what? Six foot three? Six foot four? Completely different body. Two hundred and eighty three pounds, and he was a heavy, big. Yeah, they changed. He him. was an Iowa lineman. Yes, 
And all of a sudden you see him and he's this thinner, more agile, trying to do things in space. It's crazy that you do this and you go, this guy's finally starting to click in the way that I think they thought he might when they drafted him in the second round. Now, the mm. pro- now, now the question is, is it because Von Miller's here? Did he learn something? And is this sustainable? Fair question. I, I want to start out with the first piece with Epinesa. And it ties into the, the body type and frame piece that you just mentioned. So he gets drafted in the COVID year, which is a weird offseason in general for anyone. And then at the same point and the same time, they're asking him to drop 20, 30 pounds and not only change his body type and his frame, but also change his play style, change his responsibilities, change what's been asked of him so far in his career. And he's got to do that. And change his body type and change the way he plays the game on the fly in the NFL. I don't want to say his rookie year like doesn't count or is a lost year, but I see people throw out all the time like, oh, like Epinesa and Basham, like Basham's got a one year less, like yada yada this and that. And I don't necessarily think it works on that same timeline because what was asked of AJ Epinesa in his first year, combined with it being a COVID offseason, I think it just wasn't conducive to someone developing. And at the same time, you could play the other side and be like, wow, like. Look at Justin Jefferson coming in in that COVID year and what he became. Like, holy hell, that's even more impressive. But Well, that's another position group we'll talk about later, but, the, but the timelines for growth are different. Now, yes. you have this tweet here, yes. Anthony, which are, are people watching YouTube are now seeing right up in front of them. Why don't you explain it a little bit? So this is PFF's pass rush productivity metric, which I really like. Again, I don't subscribe to PFF's grading system. I think it's too arbitrary, but the pass rush productivity metric, or PRP as they refer to it on their site, I really like. It's basically just how much you influence the quarterback from a sack pressure standpoint, anything in it. So sacks, hurries, pressures, hits, all that kind of stuff um, relative to how many times you rush the passer. So, because because that's a, a piece of it too. Like somebody, there's something to be said for if you only a, rush five times in a game, exactly. but you but but three of those you made an impact. Exactly, they carry more gravitas than yes. the guy who rushed what, twenty I, times and had three pressures. Exactly. Then you're like, oh, like, but if you're looking at volume stats, you're like, oh, that's well, they it. each have three, so they're probably the same. No, different piece. And so this part is, I did a lot of deep diving into what the Bills defense as a whole and the D line looked like. Um, once Von Miller went down. So this tweet is the Bills' defensive line, uh, pass rush productivity from weeks 12 through 18. Von went down uh, early in week 12 against the Lions. Um, and this is amongst 213 qualifying defensive linemen. And if you look at the numbers there, Greg Rousseau was tied at 22nd. So this, again, is amongst all defensive linemen. This isn't just edges. This is defensive ends, edges, interior defensive linemen, one text, three text, doesn't matter, all D linemen. Rousseau finished tied for what was tied for 22nd weeks 12 through 18 out of those 213 qualifying defensive linemen. AJ Abenesa was 29th, seven spots behind him, and their score was only .6 difference. And then you look at everyone else, again, Daquan Jones isn't a pass rusher by trade, but he was tied for 102nd. Shaq and Jordan Phillips were uh, 122nd. Daquan was 102nd. Um, and then you look at where everyone else started to finish with Oliver finishing at 140th, Boogie Bashman 179th, Tim Settle at 192nd. And these numbers for Rousseau, these, this is what I was referencing earlier. His pastor's productivity was similar in this similar range and tier pre Von Miller. So Von goes down, he held his ground. AJ Epinesa took his game 
up. Now, granted, some sample size is influencing that. He didn't yeah. have a ton of pass rushing snaps, mm-hmm. so him getting pressures is going to significantly impact that score. So, yep. so there is something to be said for, sure. well, if you put him out there with more volume, maybe that score drops. But when you watch the tape... Hey, I just think he had a better year than he gets credit for. Everybody talks about the missed tackles that he had, especially early on. Listen, he, you're he, talking you're talking to a guy who fucking derailed a draft podcast <laughs> over the fact that we drafted him. And we took it. him over J.K. Dobbins, and I, I will never forgive Chris. The hashtag hashtag nation, as uh, Paul and Mario like to call them, hashtag nation has not still not forgiven me. For what I did during that draft show, I got hammered and just re- I wrecked the whole show. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shocker. But right? no, it, it can be, and, and you, and that's understandable to a degree. So, and then so, you see what he's done early. But then on. you see what everybody else gave us, and that's the thing that I look at when we when we get into the broader discussion about training camp and what's to come and why this group is interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, bring up the web page, uh, our lads. You want to go and br- he, he, I want to say the tape for go back. Is also very go back to May first. Now, now, if you go to our leads, this is what I love about this website, Anthony. You were saying you don't usually use yeah, it. Yeah, no. This is what I like. If you scroll up, Chris, there, there's a little drop box, and you can just pick a date. And month mm. over month over month, they can tell you what the roster looked like on the first day of every calendar month. Oh, on May? Cool. May 1st. So this is what I like, is because it gives you a little bit of context to roster building when you're trying mm. to figure out how a team massaged its roster in the season. Like, not just, hey, here's who was on the roster yeah. for a given this year. This is a really cool feature. Like at, a, at a different point every month, you could check it and go, oh, in November of 2019, the Bills were rolling out this guy and this guy mm-hmm. at safety. Oh, fuck. All right. These guys were on the practice squad. And then they called these guys up and gave them snaps. Mm-hmm. Or they brought this guy in in a trade. You get to see this. So when you go back to May 1st and you look at the defensive line group, mm-hmm. It it almost seems like they went into this offseason like the Blues Brothers and said, fuck it, we're on a mission from God, we're putting the band back together, and that's enough. You've never seen the Blues Brothers? You've never seen the Blues? Okay, Anthony has never seen Dirty Work or the Blues Brothers? Chris, this is inexcusable. You know what's going to happen now? <laughs> Sorry. We're going to tell him we're podcasting, and he's going to come over here, and we're going to be like, no, sit down. <laughs> that's fine. And we're going to put it on that TV right there, and we're going to hold him hostage till he watches it. And then watch Silver Linings Playbook after. I swear to God. I'll heckle. I will give it the mystery. <laughs> I'll heckle. The Mystery Science Theater 3000. In fact, we could make a YouTube thing out of that. Me heckling the movie Silver Linings Playbook in real time. That's fine. Fuck Bradley Cooper and his stupid, oh, I'm emotional. Shut up. He went through a lot. I told you the best ending to that movie is if he woke up in the nut house and it was all just like a hallucination and he actually was still in the psych ward. It would be the best ending to the movie. Would you have liked that movie then? Yes, because all of this shit is dumb. Nobody, what, what, you, you want to dance off and that's. He didn't, no, 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 no. I can't believe I'm defending no, this movie because I don't even like it that much. They didn't, he didn't win. They didn't win at all. They beat the score to make that, to make Robert De Niro's friend, who's a dickhead, make him lose that bet. Yeah, but- Who's what rich man is betting on some asshole who was he's a not a rich man. He's not a rich man. He's a gambler and an asshole. And he did it with a parlay thinking that the Eagles suck. There's a whole plot. I can't believe I'm defending this movie, but like it's a whole plot. You're 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 grossly manipulating I the wanna, plot I wanna, of wanna, Silver Linings playbook. Like Willem Dafoe and Boondock Saints, I want to discharge a weapon in the air. It right was a firefight <laughs> right I now love in the studio. Saints. So, anyways, <laughs> if you go to ourlads.com and dial it back to May first and you look at this, <laughs> they brought back. 
everyone yes. who was on the line in 2022. And we as fans, like they, there was no significant moves made. And we as fans sat there and went, okay, the draft's over. The, uh, the free agency's over. I guess we're just going to run it back. And okay. So you start doing the fan thing where you're like, okay, I'll talk myself into believing that this can be different. It's the same thing, but it can be different mm-hmm. or it can have a different outcome. If this guy stays healthy and if this guy doesn't get hurt and if, cause it's, think about it. Mm-hmm. Von Miller doesn't go down. Mm-hmm. Greg Rousseau doesn't have a high ankle sprain. You're like, things could be different. And you start having that fan conversation that we mm-hmm. all do. Chris, we do it in every sport, don't we? Yeah. You're doing it right now for the Sabres. You're like, man, if this goaltending situation just could pan out. I can't believe they didn't sign a goalie. All that cap space. I don't, Drew, I don't want you to utter goaltending ever. <laughs> ever. Ever. Chris had to switch. Chris had to We sw- were on train wreck. He <laughs> came so hard it turned. We were on train wreck. <laughs> During Linus Olmark's rookie year. Okay. And so Drew he doesn't have Yeah, it. Drew was like, I don't think he's the guy. He's in his rookie year. It's mm. the equivalent of like going, I, I don't think Josh Allen's the guy after three games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. after twenty eighteen when 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 people when I yeah, no. fought with Nate Geary in my kitchen and was like after we won that Tennessee Titans game, I permanently chipped my elbow falling Did, uh, off the podium. <laughs> Did Allmark do anything? No, he was terrible this last year, right? Yeah, I know. A horrible team. I mean, they gave, horrible him a tr- they gave him a trophy <laughs> and everything. A participation trophy, though. It's not yeah. like he won, like, I don't know, like the Vesna or something that matters. <laughs> yeah. All right. You right? can both kiss my ass. <laughs> what I will say is, what I will say is, it is, there's an analogy there, right? Like, there's a, there's a similarity. So, we do the thing where we talk ourselves into believing it's going to be different. And then all of a sudden, here comes Brandon. Here comes Brandon Bean with his, with his wheelbarrow, with his nuts in it. And I'm just hearing the Stone Cold Steve Austin glass yeah, music. Like, here he comes. Now that's a wrestling <laughs> thing that I can get into because I do actually have that in my truck, and sometimes I listen to it when I'm I driving. Know, yeah, it's bad. So we time. bring in Puna Ford at defensive tackle and Leonard Floyd at edge. Yes. Now, Chris, we went on record and said that week we talked about the signings. We talked about the fact that. I, too, used to be 5'11", 340-something pounds, except I can't do what Puna Ford does. Yeah. The difference is you have no athleticism. <laughs> no, I, I, I can do I, – I don't know now what I could do on the bench. at my In my prime, I think I got like 12. If you look at, like, body types and what you can and can't do <laughs> – <laughs> like Puna Ford, Puna Ford is Vader. You are Mantar. Yes! You wow, dude, you can't do anything. I, lo- I dude, I hardcore love Vader. Oh man, that's a good time. That's a good analogy. Vader was a wrestler. No, I know who Vader was. Vader was hilarious. So, so we've we've talked about this for a long time. I'm trying to speed this conversation on, but Sorry. but realistically, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're looking at. They bring these signings in. Leonard has value, obviously. Yes. They make that signing and they go, we think we this will get us over the hump. And then if everything, if the injury timelines, everything comes together, when he's healthy and we have a three-man rotation, a four-man rotation of Epinesa, of uh, you give me an Epinesa, you give me a... Floyd Rousseau and Miller. Floyd Rousseau and Miller. That's a, that's a, yeah. That's a spicy meatball. AJ Vanessa is a would be a tremendous fourth. Like if he's the fourth guy in your rotation, based on what he showed on tape last year, 
very like very fun. And again, that's not ideal based on where he was drafted, but who cares? Look at it in a vacuum. That's fun. So we talked about this. My immediate thought when it happened was that we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This has become a camp, like a camp watch now. Mm-hmm. Because Great. now this position group has some juice, mm-hmm. and it's going to be worth watching to all of a sudden, even the casual fan is going to realize people who thought that their path to the 53 was clear all of a sudden have a roadblock. Mm. And now you have to earn your roster spot, and everything's up for grab. So here's what I want to know What players most directly impacted do you think? by these late additions. Let's start with the defensive end group. I've got Shaq Lawson, AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham. If I were to run it down, if you were trying to talk about secondary pass rush help, advantage Epinesa. Absolutely. Like if that's what you're looking for. Absolutely. He has the most pressures and sacks of any secondary pass rush option. Mm-hmm. He had his run his run defense is okay. It improved as the year went on in terms of his uh, yes. functionality and in terms of his finishing. If you're looking at somebody who's a vet and has a well-rounded game, Shaq Lawson's your guy. Absolutely. And a, and a, still a very strong run defender. And Sets a, a good very good run defender. And then if you're looking, if, yeah. all you're, <laughs> if all you care about is room to grow in contract, if you're being shrewd, then I guess that gives Basham the advantage. Now... Who out of that three do you think is most impacted by the addition of Leonard Floyd? Boogie Basham, for me. And this is no secret if uh, watch disguise coverage where I'm on or on the film room. I did not. And this isn't just confirmation bias or like looking for the negative. I didn't like this pick with him coming out of Wake Forest. Um, some people just and everybody's different. Like some people can see a guy and think, wow, this guy's a great second round talent. Other people see a guy and like, I wouldn't take this guy at all and vice versa on all these pieces. I didn't love the pick coming out, and I just think what we've seen, even like his highest of highs, they've been nice, but they've been very, very, very few and far between. I still don't know what he is. Does he offer anything from a plus standpoint in the run defense piece? Does he offer anything from a plus standpoint in the pass rush piece? He dropped some weight last year and it was all about quickness and speed, but he didn't look too much quicker or faster on tape and on the field. He had some really good rushes when they lined him up on the interior. And when I say some, I literally mean like two or three. I just don't. Now, I don't think they're going to cut bait on him because he's going into year three. I, but I wouldn't be shocked if Boogie Basham wasn't on this team or didn't make the roster. And I even went so far. Eric and I went back and forth. Chris, remember we talked about uh, Brandon Bean 
except for the COVID year when they just said, hey, fuck it, practice squads can be 50 players. Uh-huh. He's made a trade every single offseason. Could be Basham. He could be this year's Daryl Johnson. Basham could be the guy who's on the bubble where you go, there's some Cody Ford. There's Fair. some team out there who will take you just because you have term. Fair. Somebody who really liked him two years ago in the draft still yep. believes that they can get the most juice out of him, coach and, him and up. And you want to give us a sixth-round pick for him? Yeah. Fuck and, it. And I, the sample size is much smaller. I liked what, John, what, what Kingsley Jonathan did last year yes. in that game against the Bears combined with what he did in the preseason. I would have rather taken like a flyer that, on him. Now, the sample size is very I love that small. one of his best plays got called back because he was offside, but you could tell yes. where his head was at. He's got juice. You could tell where his head was at. You think Bean could uh, maybe trade a wide receiver? Mm. Yeah. Could happen. Yeah, except not Stephon Diggs, you dig I only said that to move the conversation to the next goddamn topic. Hang on. We have to talk about the defensive tackles. God. Yeah, I know. Chris, Chris is getting antsy over here. It's my fault. I talk a lot. I take the blame. Here's no, the no, well, I mean, we're on a Ahmed Johnson career schedule here, so. All hey, right. Phillips, <laughs> Phillips are, when you look so at the, brutal. so when you look at the, when you look at the defensive tackle room. Yes. Phillips are settled. Who's the one who's oh. most impacted by Puna Ford? Because they brought Puna Ford in because they said, listen, we don't think either one of you can truly back up to Quan Jones. So we brought in a, another guy who seems rooted in the one tech but can give you a little pass rush. Ooh. And Puna Ford, so I, I was familiar with him, didn't see a ton of Seattle games <clears throat> last year. I watched their offense a bunch last year on all 22, but didn't dive into the defense too much. Going back and watching his tape last year and even the year before, he's got a lot of front versatility and alignment versatility. You can line him up as a one-tech, a three-tech. You can put him in a four-eye. You can put him in a five. Like He got used all over. Seattle used a bunch of different varied mm-hmm. fronts last year. They used odd fronts mixed with evens. I, I think for me personally, Puna Ford is defensive tackle three. Like, and if you okay. wanted to say he's defensive tackle four, I can understand that because Jordan Phillips on this team, for whatever reason, he's very good. Like, a <laughs> tremendous depth piece. He's like Peerless Price. If he leaves Buffalo, he just goes to shit. I, and, but see, but part of the reason he went to shit in Arizona was the was he kept getting yeah. injured in a variety of ways. And then he comes to Buffalo, and it's not just the shoulder injury he got in that Thursday night game against the Pats late in the year. It's the hamstring against Tennessee in Week yeah. 2. If Jordan Phillips could stay healthy, a, fr- right. a, a four-man nope. interior of yeah, Daquan, Ed, Jordan, and Puna, whoever you want to rank where, I don't care. That's a solid foursome. And then if Settles your fifth or fluctuating in, cool. My issue is I don't think Jordan Phillips plays it. I think the over under, I don't know, like 10 games, 11 games, like you don't know what you're going to get out of them, which means you need Puna Ford to be good. You need Tim Settle to be good. I think if, if Phillips suffers an injury in camp, that could potentially like, I think that's a wild card because it could happen. I think Settle is potentially the most impacted, but given the restructuring of his contract, I honestly think they, that group stays. I think we see a five man. Wow. Piece. I'm not saying they all make the roster, no. but like, I think like your five for this season is, and not in order, but Daquan, Ed Oliver, Puna Ford, Jordan Phillips, and Tim Settle. Tim Settle would have to have a god-awful camp. Phillips would have to get super hurt. Either way, whoever you want them to be, I mean, Settle at least plays with more regularity, mm-hmm. but when he does play, he doesn't reach the level that Jordan Phillips does. So I think Phillips is the better player. Settle is the best abilities availability type of thing and it's it but that's to your point like that's a really fun piece to watch in camp so now you can it, see this battle play out yeah so there's things now to watch on the defensive side of the football if you want to go to wide receiver 
because I know Chris is chomping at the bit over here being the professional that he is. Here's what we'll start with. What went wrong? Gabe Davis was hurt all season. So he he got hurt early on. He's playing in that Baltimore game in a monsoon where he plays like 98% of the snaps. He's playing on one ankle. Mm-hmm. And I don't want I'm not giving him a pass at all cuz he had some really egregious drops. But if you're playing on a on a bum wheel, that's going to come into play. And this is a guy who has pulled out some of the most spectacular, ridiculous yep. catches his first several years in the league. I like him for what his role is. I understand people's frustration with him, especially after how he ended the year against Kansas City in the playoffs the year before. But that ankle injury, I love that you led with that, was a significant piece. It also, Shakir wasn't given any snaps in the regular season and then got thrown into the postseason. Like, you just decided to make him one of your guys. And then people were pissed that he didn't acclimate immediately. It's like, they're like, well, he's been here all year. He hasn't fucking played. He has not fucking played. He had 10 targets. Big difference between game reps and practice reps. Holy shit, guys. He had that big drop against Miami, though. They, well, they, what do you want? Yeah, but throw I mean. Throw him a few more. I understand, but throw him a few more. He's a rookie. I mean, he had a sick catch against Pittsburgh early in yes. the year, but now he can't pull off this catch against Miami. Like, I also think, too, there's something to be said for. It's the same, same similar piece with the Kyrie Elam conversation. The people that want these rookies thrown in, you don't know how they're showing in practice. And if someone's showing well in practice, Sean McDermott's not keeping them off the field. And we heard just as much when it came to Kyrie Elam. Like, I talked about it the last time I was here. There were things on tape I saw that were inconsistencies from a read and an assignment standpoint. And then McDermott and Bean come out and say that piece. Like, he was showing these things in practice. And there's something to be said for you want to get <clears> – <throat> You know, your young guys time on tasks so that they can develop. But there's also to be something said for the flip side of that, where you're a good football team and you can't. There's there's no time to learn. Correct. And does that guy make you vulnerable by going on the field? If you put and I'm not saying this is the case, but you put the Chiefs with Sky Moore. Sky Moore was a liability for Kansas City. They trade for Kadarius Tony because they know that like, hey, we drafted this guy high. But he's not ready. And that doesn't mean he won't be sick this year or yeah, going forward. But, but when you're you, But he's not ready right now yes. and we need a guy right now. Yes. What went right for the Bills is that Diggs is still fucking awesome. Diggs is still the man. He'll two hand over the back dunk on like he'll have another thousand yard, eleven hundred yard season, and everyone will forget the fact that all this off season drama even occurred. Like, but that was probably the only silver lining for me. So now, uh. if we're <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! Uh. damn it, yes, it's quality uh. film. <laughs> so thrown off. Unlike the defensive line, where they made changes. Right? Like, they made no changes until the last minute, and then everyone, mm-hmm. They made quick changes to that wide receiver room. Yes. They said, hey, Isaiah McKenzie, thank you, but mm-hmm. no thank you. Then they bring in Hardy mm-hmm. on this contract, and everyone goes, whoa! This is a guy where you're going to pay what for a guy who has what for catches? And everyone's heads explode, and, th- and then they go into the draft, and then you watch what they do afterwards. And you just watch the way that their physical makeups and how some of the philosophies at play mm. come into just forming this position group going into training camp. It almost gives you some insight as to what they're thinking offensively for this season. Mm. I feel like the philosophy is on display with some of these moves they've made. And it, it, like you think about it, Crowder, Kumaro, Isaiah McKenzie. You vacate 85 targets, 547 yards, 52 first downs, and four touchdowns hmm. with those guys. Mm-hmm. 
in their place to bring in Justin Shorter, rookie, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Trent Sherfield, and Deontay Hardy. On its face, uh-huh. just those three, is there a single one of those statistical categories that I just talked about that you're worried that they can't replace? No. Exactly. At a minimum, this group can absolutely replace what we just lost. We quietly improved every facet of what that interior wide receiver group was. Mm. Now, like on Hardy, Mm -hmm. now this is a guy you like. Mm -hmm. Size dictates he's a slot wide receiver a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Not all the time, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the time. Rass numbers and production show you he's a speed guy and he's got a little wiggle. Size and explosion, not his thing. The contract says they see him as an impact player. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing I like about this, and I ran some of the numbers on this, and I have them here in front of me. Isaiah McKenzie versus Hart, because I heard some of the people who were like, oh, good, so they they, they paid more money for a yeah. small wide receiver. They paid more money for the same Isaiah McKenzie. When healthy in 2021, so that's what I did. I went back to 2021 when both Isaiah McKenzie put up a career year, mm-hmm. and so did Hardy. Yeah. 570 and three touchdowns for Hardy. Mm-hmm. This is going to be more important in a few minutes, but he held an average depth of target of 10.9 yards per target, which... He was 23rd in the NFL in yards against the catch versus man coverage, which mm-hmm. finished ahead of CeeDee Lamb, Devonta Smith, and Stephon Diggs. <laughs> Generated 11 first downs versus zone, something Isaiah McKenzie could not do. Mm. And then his yards per route run was ninth in the NFL. That's the one. I'm glad you pulled it. I was trying to find it. Bang! Thank you so much. I've got the numbers, baby. Save me so much time. So, and then the, here's the other thing. When you think about where Josh Allen was most effective on the football field, like if you look at that again, I know you don't like PFF, but when you watch that chart and you see, the oh no, 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 what they I, are, I love PFF for everything but their grades. When they break down the like, okay, here's where you threw the best. Yeah, the Josh chart. Allen murders that not, that ten to nineteen yard He's window. Tremendous in the intermediate. That is where Hardy is the most effective. <laughs> He is one of the most effective pass catchers, and that's why he has so many yards after the catch, mm-hmm. is because he can get separation against linebackers and slot corners in that, like, hey, if you don't jam me at the line, I'm going to be open mm-hmm. in the 9-10 to 10 yard window, mm-hmm. and I will turn it upfield. And I'm fast enough, you might not get the angle on me. I will kill you. I will kill you. Yeah, he's impressive. <laughs> I, and I think what's nice, too, you see, like, the juice and the speed and the elusiveness and the sharpness in his game when he's got the ball in his hands, he operates with that as a route runner and in his yes. release packages. You see that jitterbug type of game isn't just when the ball is in his hands. I think he's a better route runner than he gets credit for. I think he's got a really fun release package. He's got a lot of nuance to his game, and I know that terminology gets well, used so much now. I think he's been buried on a bad football team for a long time. And he's been hurt. And he's been hurt. And that's a fair piece. Like, if and he that's can, part he, of it. He, can he stay healthy? Like, that's a big piece. But so the flip side of that is you look at Isaiah McKenzie and what he was giving us. He was 10th in the NFL in snaps from the slot last year. He finished with the second fewest yards, a negative yards above expected figure, according to the NFL Next Gen stats. So that's which is, bad. Which is basically like, hey... You're you're meeting a defender at a certain point. Did you gain yards after we expected you to just get tackled? He gained negative yards, which tells you he... Yeah, that's very bad. It, that's not good. You didn't even hit like the basic level of expectation. You fell below that. You fell below it. 
which is like you just can't turn this sizable snap share into mm-hmm. productivity. Mm-hmm. So they say, hey, we'll hedge our bets on this guy who is statistically and analytically all upside. Mm-hmm. But then he can't stay healthy. And you go, well, the health issues, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so then you bring in a Trent Sherfield. Clearly third or fourth fiddle in the Dolphins passing attack last year. Mm-hmm. The numbers in the fine metrics are crazy. He produced more yards than McKenzie on 14 fewer targets, a hundred fewer snaps from the slot, a whopping 4.3 yards more to the depth of target Mm. than Isaiah McKenzie. Mm. Now, when you think about what the Bills offense is, we are a vertical passing attack. Mm -hmm. We have a quarterback who has a strong arm who likes to push the ball downfield. You know why Isaiah McKenzie doesn't fit? Because he doesn't get natural separation. Mm. And then you watch him just fuck routine things up. Like, yeah, Chris, the, the trip over the goal line against Kansas City, the turf monster got him. Like, it's like, what did you fall over? You just fell down apropos of nothing. <laughs> apropos of nothing. Josh Allen threw you the football and you weren't there. Yeah. Like, this is... <laughs> he was a guy who could not succeed down the field. Mm. Instead, what they did was they said, listen, we gave this guy all of the slot snaps mm-hmm. and he couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take, we have a small option, uh-huh. and then we have a big option. Uh-huh. Both of them are vertical threats. Uh-huh. They go down the field, their average depth of target is beyond 10, which tells you that's where they thrive. Uh-huh. And in an offense that's built like ours, realistically with a running back like James Cook, uh-huh. you want your receivers carrying so that if you're going to have a release, you dump off to that running back and let them go. Yeah. You're starting to see the makings of what could be a very fun offense just in these two players and the way they're added. Now, what do you think about that philosophically? I really like this wide receiver group. I, 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 I'm I, a big fan of your wide receiver. And I, this isn't my phrasing, and I forget who said it. So if they happen to be listening to this, they, it's someone famous, so I doubt they're listening. Well, actually, no, they could be listening. No distract. So no, I'm sure they're not. I mean, we're <laughs> we're blocked on Twitter by Richie Incognito, so st- I guess football players listen to us. That's fair. Fair point. I, I like my wide receiver group to be kind of like a basketball lineup. Like I want a power forward, I want a center, I want a shooting guard, nice. I want a point guard. I want that. I want multiple skill sets and dynamics present in the group. And I think with Hardy. And with Sherfield, they now have that piece. And I also think with Dalton Kincaid's addition, I know he's a tight end, but he's going to factor into the receiver snap share and formations and alignment. Um, What you can run with Kincaid, you can also run like light versions of that with Trent Sherfield with how good of a blocker he is out of the slot from a size and frame standpoint, plus a physicality and football IQ standpoint. He's very good at digging out safeties, cracking down on linebackers, edges, slot corners. So I think Sherfield adds to your speed and size category and downfield piece, but he also adds a physical element in the run game, and I think that run game is going to be important. And this is where you added size. and You already have Gabe Davis, who is a very good run-blocking wide receiver. Yes, but functions mainly on the outside. Yes. So now, now you've got a, that power slot. Now you've got a power slot that you can throw in there and say, listen, Dalton Kincaid, yeah. you don't have to worry about this. We have a guy who can go out there, and if I need him to play slot, but also just just take his cornerback and drive him into the ground, he can do that. Yeah. Like, Chris, that, that photo, that, <laughs> there's a picture, the athletic, uh, it was uh, in an article about uh, Trent Sherfield. Mm. 
at the athletic, and it was him lined up against one of our cornerbacks during OTAs. Mm. His quads are enormous. He's a big man. He's for a wide receiver. He's built like a basketball player. Yeah. And so you yeah, look at that. Look at those quads against that quarterback. He does squats. Those little stick legs. That's him against Trey White. That's him against Trey White. Trey White's got little baby legs. Trey White has chicken legs. And and guess what? You're a cornerback. You don't have to be the most muscular guy. But mm-hmm. guess what? If you go, go go up against him in a run-blocking capacity in a phone booth, he'll own you. And he wants that piece. Like He, yes. he likes the physicality. He has he, that. He wants to run block. And then it's, okay, cool. We can get the ball in his hands on an RPO or a slant or any type of piece like Miami did, and he can take it to the house like he did against San Francisco. And I also think it's a cool piece, too, with he was with Mike McDaniel in San Francisco, and McDaniel brought him with him to Miami. Now he had Waddle, and he had Hill, and they signed Cedric Wilson, but Sherfield kept finding a way to see the field. And I always think it's interesting when coaches leave one place to start new somewhere else. They like to bring certain people with them that they know that they're comfortable with and – Sure so one of those guys. anybody who uh, subscribes to GoLongTD.com, which you all should be by now, uh, Tyler Dunn, our friend, he did it like an in-depth thing with Trent Sherfield before the Bills ever signed him. Oh, cool. Just did it just to talk to him and get his story. He told one of the craziest stories where he had, he was like, I was learning from Larry Fitzgerald. We had the, I had the best camp. The coaches told me I was killing it. Mm. The preseason, I scored touchdowns. I was balling out. I was out of control. But it was the year that Steve Keim, who is now no longer a GM, drafted Hakeem Butler. You remember that? Oh, I, I, there's a ton of people. Like Hakeem Butler is like everyone's biggest. Like, who are you wrong on on the draft? And drafted Andy Isabella. Oh, Andy Isabella. And then drafted Keyshawn. Keyshawn Johnson. Oh, yeah, like K-E-E apostrophe Sean. Who is now on the Bills practice squad, Keyshawn Johnson. Mm. Drafted him in that draft and said, guess what? My draft picks are going to play. Fuck Trent Sherfield. That happens. And Trent had to play the good soldier and just go do special teams work and get his occasional you know, five snaps a game. Which is also a nice bonus being on the Buffalo Bills. But what I look at is now we've got this guy who's just been itching for a chance. Yeah. This is his chance. There's an, it, it's an injury prone slot ahead of him and air. There's, it's it's like you'll hear outside in the parking lot at two o'clock in the morning. If you're depending on what bar you hang out at, there's probably someone just yelling about how there ain't nothing out here, but air and opportunity, baby. Nothing yeah, out a, here. That's a good drunk at 2am quote there. That's what's out here for some of these wide receivers. Hmm. Now, top six players, Davis, Diggs, Sherfield, Shorter, Hardy, Shakir. Is there a universe where they don't make the cut? No. <laughs> They're all rostered. Yeah. Is there anyone on the practice squad who you think could push these guys? Oh. If not, it's okay, because I don't I, fucking care. I don't bother to... Look at this. I'm looking at the wide receiver. I'll say scroll, Chris, up, scroll up. Scroll, yeah, scroll up. Scroll up, too. So you can see these fucking names. Like, who? Isaiah Coulter. Desmond Patman, who everyone talks about every offseason and then stops talking about the second real football gets played. Yeah, I just don't I just don't think so. Especially with again, I know he's a tight end, but especially with what Kincaid is going to be for this team. Hey, but I guys, just... name in Roosevelt. Name in Roosevelt is the truth. Oh, name could be, yeah. Everybody who or who was um not Duke Williams. Who was the uh, there was another one like a, a truther that everybody was in on. Brandon Riley. Yes, Brandon Riley's a good one. Good call. Um, Jalen Wayne is somebody who I saw at the Senior Bowl. I don't think he makes noise, but 
he had some fun pieces on tape and some fun pieces at the Senior Bowl, but something significant would have to happen for Diggs, Davis, Sherfield, Shakir, uh, Shorter, and um, Sherfield. And there's right one last thing I want to mention that makes this whole conversation interesting as far as roster building and what we'll see at camp. Hmm. Hardy was a Pro Bowl returner. Hmm. Last week in my monologue podcast, which Chris, give it up. It's hard to do a one-man podcast, and I think I fucking killed it. Yeah. Doing a I lot. mean, tough, you scary. did okay. You wow, did okay. I'll bring you down to earth. Yeah. I mean, you sent me fi- you sent me files that said uh, semi-edited. I It took me an hour and 45 uh, minutes to take out uh, most of my breaths and coughs, and it still wasn't great. That's fair. I don't even take out your breaths and coughs. I take out other bullshit when you just hack the uh, pod track sound effect machine I, took all, I had to leave one in because you stepped yes, on it yeah i stepped on it on purpose because i was like he can't cut this one just so people know it's here i stepped on on purpose fuck you <laughs> fuck you exactly i know i chris fuck you <laughs> so hardy pro bowl returner i talked about it last week this idea that naheem hines and the way this team's mindset is they do not like to mix the like, returner with any other duties. And McDermott's gone on record. He's yeah. gone on record and said, well, if a returner gets hurt, now I'm hurt at two positions if he's a starter. Okay. And I was like, that sounds like you're coaching scared, but sure. I guess I'll listen to that. Hardy is a returner. We talk about how they want to use Hines as a weapon in the offense Mm. because he is a good pass catcher and a good run blocker and a better run blocker than James Cook, which we talked about. I'm probably a better run blocker than James. Yeah, exactly. That's that's too far. So now the idea is is that if you can get some return juice from Hardy, Mm. and let's say they go, hey, the way camp falls, we actually like Trent Sherfield from the slot. Mm -hmm. We like that physicality. We like the size mismatch against a lot of smaller slot corners. And at the same time, we know we can work you in this way, and that frees us up to use Hines as a real weapon in the offense because we don't have to rely on him in these capacities. Could absolutely be the case. Would you take that as a win? Would you still look at those salaries, because I know a lot of fans will scream, and go, he's making $8 million a year, he can't just be a returner. But if it makes the team better on offense by giving you a pass-blocking, run, like pass-catching weapon... Mm-hmm that you can regularly add into the offense now, have we not made the team better? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, and I, I also think, too, a, a way to look at it for Hardy, you also never know how the draft and the rest of the offseason is going to shake out. Whoever is wide receiver three is arguably option four or five, because option one is is Diggs. Option two, three, and four, you can legitimately make a case for anyone out of Davis, Knox, and Kincaid, I think. So whoever is the number one slot receiver could realistically, at best, be option four. Like, maybe option three if something happens, but probably, like, closer to four or five. Well, that so, depends, because... So you can hide that third that third wide receiver option. You can just, like, hide him in the back? Well, and it all... Like Scott Norton in the NWO. I was waiting for it. I, just, I didn't want to say too much. I was like, I just want to see. I just want to see where it goes. I like it. That's a great wrestling reference. Scott Flash Norton. You love him. You're a big Scott Norton guy. I love the fact that that's what we're going to end this podcast with. You always fucking talk about it. Every time I, I, yeah, I, Scott Norton. I came over today and I was like, hey, what's up? And you were like, you know who I love? Scott Norton. And you put on some Scott Norton tape from WCW Nitro 97. You want to hear this? Yeah, I do. So my mom... 
I think this is the, is Scott Norton. No, my mom. <laughs> I'm no, not kidding. I'm no. not. His mom. This is a real. This is a real thing. So okay. when my mom and dad got divorced for the first time, they reconciled and remarried. But okay. my mom was looking at this house in like a short sale. Okay. And I went with her to this house in Roswell, Georgia, and we walk in, and you know we meet the homeowners, and I'm like, that guy is no way. I've seen him before. No. Scott Norton. Scott Norton. Fucking crazy. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, wa- so random. I walked into a back room in the house and it was like all these like like all this wrestling memorabilia. I'm like, Scott Flash Norton. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you still talk to Ice Train? Did you say something to him? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. You still talk to Ice Train? Of course he does. <laughs> no, that's he fantastic. He's, yeah. le- he's legit like. He he's tra- the world's heaviest cruiserweight. Because when he was on Nitro, that's super all he athletic. fought. Yeah, was and cruiserweights. But his Japan run before he's super athletic. Like also, like not the kind of guy you want to piss off. Like very mean and nasty. I mean, again, you know, Drew, you love him. You're all about Scott Norton. <laughs> You're wearing a Scott Norton T-shirt right now. <laughs> it says Norton on the back. Flash twenty-two. <laughs> if, so, if someone just like threw a Molotov cocktail into the studio right now and you burned us it. all alive, it'd be the best. It'd be a better finish to this podcast than that conversation. See, that's me. Nonetheless. That's hurtful. Guys, we got to get out of here. Anthony, where can people find you on social media? Find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores A-N-T. I host my own show live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Cover One channel. It's called Disguised Coverage. And then I am one of the co-hosts of the Cover One Film Room live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern with Eric Turner. Uh, We just had Daquan Jones on the show. Two weeks ago, we had Greg Rousseau. The week before that, we had Kyer Elam. And Drew loves Silver Linings Playbook. Hey guys, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This is the guy who's never seen dirty work, and this has been your Rockpile Report. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.